Is this on? Yeah, it is. Great. Uh, let me have my welcome to you. My name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, Lord willing, for the next six Sundays, we're going to be preaching through this little book of Habakkuk. And uh, my guess is that when Sangeetha read that for her just now, you were quite relieved that she told you the page number twice. Because um, Habakkuk is one of those minor prophetic books at the end of the Old Testament. You might have accidentally stumbled upon it before if you were looking for a more famous book like Jonah, or if you were looking for Matthew's gospel and just turned a few pages too early. I think it's fair to say Habakkuk is not a very well-known book. We don't actually even know how to pronounce his name, so some people say Habakkuk. I'm going to say Habakkuk, so you can say whatever you like. It doesn't really matter. And yet, Habakkuk has important and relevant things to teach us, especially in our uh, kind of cultural moment today, which I hope we're going to see over the next uh, six weeks or so. But I do want to tell you, this little book comes with a health warning. Habakkuk does not sugarcoat the realities of life in this messy and broken world. There are no easy or vague platitudes to be found in Habakkuk. By the end, in the face of coming calamity, Habakkuk is singing. But he is not singing, don't worry, be happy. That's not where he goes to. In fact, what we discover about God in this little book, about his mysterious providence, may shake us. It may raise more questions than answers for us. And I hope that looking at, at this book in our GCs at the same time will help us to work through some of those. But my prayer is that Habakkuk is going to take us on a journey. It's a journey, as Jonathan Lamb in his little book describes, from why to worship. From why to worship. From questions and confusion to joy and trust. But that journey is not an easy one. It's not smooth path. At times, that journey is going to be painful, unsettling, and uncomfortable. It will require us to engage with God with a courage and honesty that we don't usually need. But it's going to be like an uphill climb to the top of a mountain. The journey is going to grow us, and the destination is going to be worth it. So let me pray uh, and ask God to help us as we hear his word through Habakkuk. Lord God, we thank you so much that you are a living, speaking God. And we thank you that in your love and kindness for us, you have taken Habakkuk's words of complaint to you and given them as your word to us to teach us and instruct us on how to live as faithful men and women in the messiness of life in this fallen world. And so we pray, Lord, please help us as we journey with Habakkuk from why to worship. Please give us courage and honesty as we listen to what you say to us, as we engage and respond to it. And Lord, we pray that in our own lives you would speak to us powerfully by your Holy Spirit and take us on that same journey to worship you with more depth and feeling. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When did you last 
ask God, why? Why? Why, Lord, do innocent people in Ukraine and so many other parts of the world continue to have bombs dropped on their heads? Why, Lord, are innocent people, even people in our own city, caught up in brutal gang violence that has nothing to do with them? Why, Lord, do so many people in our world, even people in our own community, struggle to put food on the table for their children? Why, Lord, am I suffering with chronic pain or some health condition or unfair treatment at work? Why am I struggling with infertility or unemployment? It's a question that echoes in all of our hearts, why? And it's the question that dominates the opening chapter of Habakkuk. Four times in this opening chapter in verses 3 and verse 13, Habakkuk cries out to God, why? 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 It's a question For Habakkuk, that is so urgent and so desperate that it bursts through almost immediately. We get the briefest of introductions in verse 1. The prophecy, more literally, the burden that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. But if you read through the other prophets, they all have uh, information about their families, information about the time in which they were around. But Habakkuk doesn't have any of that. It's as if the urgent intensity of his emotions can't be held back by any of those historical formalities. Instead, the first thing we hear of is Habakkuk's distressed, desperate cry. I want you to picture a man, clothes torn, tears streaming down his face, on his knees, lifting his voice in anguished Lament to God, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. Or cry out to you, violence. But you do not save. That's the first thing that Habakkuk models for us today. Bring your questions to God. Bring your questions to God. We are, we're constantly surrounded by a, a frightening and bewildering array, array of uncertainties and anxieties in our lives. We often find ourselves perplexed by what we see in the world around us and even more by what we experience in our own lives. And if you're a Christian, there is tension there, isn't there? Because so often what we believe about God and what we see and experience in the world around us don't seem to fit together. So we, we know God is good. We know this is God's world. He is sovereignly in control of everything that happens in it. But if God is good, why is there so much evil in the world? If God is in control, why does our world seem so out of control? They're questions we've all wondered. 
And listen, you need to know the gospel is not glib. Jesus' message is not, if you come to me, all of your problems will go away. Not at all. Actually, sometimes the problems get worse. I was talking to someone in our church who's a relatively new Christian, and they were telling me that one of the things that experienced in trusting Jesus was new eyes to see everything that's wrong with the world, more than they'd ever seen before, and a, a weightiness to that. They felt it more than ever before. You see, in some ways, belief in God makes that worse, not better. And what Habakkuk shows us is that authentic, real, biblical spirituality is not afraid to confront those hard questions, even actually to press harder into that point of tension. Sadly, lots of Christians are afraid to do that. I know that because I'm one of them. The truth is many of us would prefer to keep those two things separate to bury our heads, our questions, and our doubts in the sand and hope they go away. But this morning, Habakkuk wants to show us a better way, a harder way, but a better way. Now, um, you probably already got a feel of it from, uh, from, from the reading. Habakkuk is slightly unusual among the prophets. He doesn't so much bring God's word to the people, although he does do that. But actually, most of Habakkuk is bringing his words to God. The first couple of chapters is all this back and forth dialogue between Habakkuk and God, where he confronts God with his confusion and his questions and his doubts, wrestling with God with courage and honesty. Listen again to those opening verses from verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. The law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. When was the last time you talked to God like that? Asked him questions like that? Now let me just point out, if you don't believe in God, you can't actually ask any of those kind of questions. Not really, anyway. See, you can't look at evil and injustice in the world and ask, why does this happen? Because if God isn't there, who are you talking to? And more importantly, if God isn't there, there is no such thing as good and evil. This is just the way it is in a random universe where only the fittest survive and you shouldn't expect anything else. Now, the fact is, every single human being still feels those questions rising up inside. Can't help it. And we all know there is such a thing as good and evil. We all feel this need to ask someone, anyone, 
why the world is so wrong, even though this is all we've ever known. I think that ought to tell you that deep down we know there is a God, that we were made in his image to know him and be known by him. But if you're a Christian, I just want you to look again at verses 2 to 4 and think about Habakkuk's questions. And I'll ask you again, when was the last time you talked to God like that? Now, Habakkuk has good reasons for asking those questions. He lived in the time after the death of the last good king of Judah, a man named Josiah. But now, in Habakkuk's day, Josiah's son, a man named Jehoiakim, is on the throne of Judah. And sadly, Jehoiakim inherited none of his father's good qualities. Uh, The prophet Jeremiah tells us that Jehoiakim exploited his people with forced labor. That his eyes and his heart were set on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood and on oppression and extortion. And so Habakkuk's society, ruled over by King Jehoiakim and his cronies, their society is plagued by violence, injustice, and lawlessness and wrongdoing at every level. The powerful oppress the weak, courts are corrupt, injustice is rife, and God's word is ignored. And the crisis is compounded because it seems like God isn't listening. C.S. Lewis called it the maddening silence of God for weeks, months, maybe even for years. Habakkuk has been praying, crying out for God to do something, to bring justice, to deal with the sin. But God is a no-show. How long, Lord? How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. To cry out to you, violence. But you do not save. And Habakkuk's complaint is that God is rubbing his nose in it. Making him look at evil All the while, God stands idly by, not doing anything about it. It seems to Habakkuk like God doesn't care about the evil that abounds among his own people. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? That's the question, isn't it? And Habakkuk's confusion is deepened because what he sees doesn't fit with what he knows about God. Habakkuk knows God is a God of justice. He loves justice. He hates wickedness. He stands up for the cause of the oppressed and the weak. So where is he? Have you ever felt like that? I know you have. We all have. 
at some point or other, you have poured your heart out to God, praying persistently for some situation in the world, or maybe in your family, maybe for some wayward child, or maybe a situation in your own life for some health condition or some struggle with sin. You've prayed and prayed and prayed, but it seemed like God wasn't listening. The maddening silence of God. What do you do? What do you do when that's your experience? Personally, as I've been working through Habakkuk the last few weeks, I found his words really challenging. First of all, because Habakkuk cares deeply about what he's seeing in his society. So much of the time, I'm not really like that. My tendency is, is I drift into a kind of indifference. I try not to care too much about it because it's painful. So I deliberately don't read the news. I pretend it's not really happening. Self-protection mechanism, just go into indifference. Others of us drift into cynicism. We just stop praying. We stop talking to God. We harden our hearts. We learn to live with the disappointment. We lose any sense of expectancy that God might really be good enough to answer our prayers. But I want you to see Habakkuk doesn't do either of those. He is neither cynical nor indifferent. He feels deep sorrow and anguish and distress by what he sees. And then he confronts God with that. Habakkuk is much more honest than most of us would ever be with God. And he's much more faithful as well. Because he takes that to God. He doesn't bury his head in the sand. Instead, he confronts God with his, with his confusion. He goes to the Lord with his questions, engaging with courage and honesty. And he does not give up. Even now, he's still praying. Still taking the same questions and confusion to God. Now, I, I expect that some of us are wondering, is it really okay to talk to God like this? And I, I want to say part of the reason Habakkuk is in the Bible is to give us permission, even encouragement, to speak to God like this. These are Habakkuk's words to God, but God has given Habakkuk's words back to us in his own words. God has given us permission to say this kind of thing to him. And if that's not enough, just think about the Psalms. How many of the Psalms express this kind of words to God? Psalm 13 that we read at the beginning of the service says the same thing. How long, O oh Lord? And what's more, think about Jesus. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane crying out to God if there is another way. Jesus on the cross crying out to God, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? But here's the thing I want you to notice. Habakkuk takes his complaint to God. There is a world of difference between complaining about God 
and complaining to God. A world of difference between saying about God, he has abandoned me, and saying to God through tears, you have abandoned me. A world of difference. Jesus shows us, you can say to God, you have abandoned me, and still be faithful. If you say it to him. And it's only Christians, only in Christianity that you can confront God like this. In Islam, you simply submit. You put on a brave face and you bury your questions as deep down in the sand as you can go. But with the true and living God of the Bible, you can come with all of your confusion and questions and bring it to him. Please, can I, can I urge you, when you experience those confusing, difficult things in life, putting on a brave face, it may be British, but it is not Christian. I want to suggest it might actually be more Muslim than Christian. Bring your questions to God. Honestly. You can cry out to God like this. He is big enough and good enough to hear your anguished cries. He is not offended by your confusion. He is not put out by your questioning. God receives us not because we're emotionally stable and polite, but because he is merciful and kind. God has given us these prayers in Scripture, his word to us, to teach us how to pray faithfully when we are desperate. And I know sometimes that the pain and anguish is so deep that it's hard to pray. If that's where you are this morning, you need to tell someone, I'm finding it really hard to pray, please will you phone me every morning and pray this with me and for me. If you're struggling to sing, come, let others sing to you and for you. But don't stop coming to church or to God. Those are the times we have to press more deeply into the tension. Not run away from it, I hope it goes away. That takes courage. And it takes honesty. They're essential for living faith with God. Bring your questions to God. And secondly, and more briefly, trust God when his answers don't make sense. Trust God when his answers don't make sense, verses 5 to 11. Um, the Australian preacher Peter Adam once said, there's only one thing worse than unanswered prayer. And that's when you get an unwanted answer to prayer which is precisely what Habakkuk gets, isn't it? Habakkuk's question in verses 2 to 4 is to say to God, why aren't you doing anything? And God's response in verses 5 to 11 is to say, I am. It's just not what you want or expect or could ever believe. I don't know about you, when I pray, I know how I want God to answer my problem. I have the ideal solution already in mind. And the problem is, 
God very rarely seems to do anything according to my plans or intentions. And sometimes his answers make absolutely no sense to me at all. We're not told what Habakkuk had in mind for a solution to the problems of his day. Maybe he wanted a new king or some kind of deliverance. But what's for certain is Habakkuk did not have this answer in mind. Because the answer that God gives is, well, it's barely a solution at all. In fact, it only makes the problems worse. It raises more questions than it answers. Because instead of ending violence, God is going to multiply violence. In verse 3, Habakkuk complained that God was making him look at injustice. And in verse 5, it's as if God says to him, you want to see something, Habakkuk? Look again. Look at the nations and be amazed. Because I'm going to do something that is extraordinary and amazing and unbelievable that will shock you to your bones. Verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians. That's God's unbelievable answer to Habakkuk's question. See, God is not standing idly by. He's not uncaring and unfeeling, oblivious to the injustice and wrongdoing and violence among his own people. Far from it. He is sovereignly at work, raising up an army to be his instrument of judgment against his own people. The Babylonians. And it's going to be terrible. In verses 6 to 11, we get this long poetic description of what the Babylonians are like, their army of galloping horses, swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk, bloodthirsty, dreadful, ferocious, merciless, and ruthless. This is an army that crushes and conquers with violence and oppression, swooping down like an eagle with its prey, and then sweeping on like a tornado destroying everything in its path. That the Babylonians, an even more godless nation than Judah, are coming in judgment is shocking enough. That God is the one who is behind it is even more shocking. But God is very clear. I am raising up the Babylonians. He is in total control of this, not in a way that absolves the Babylonians of responsibility. They're fully responsible, verse 11, they are guilty people. And yet God is the one sovereignly bringing about his plans and purposes. Now there is deep mystery there. Lots of things that we don't understand. And in some ways, knowing that brings a measure of comfort, doesn't it? God is in control. His arm is not shortened. Even against the terrible plans of his enemies, he stands over it and in control of it. But that's also deeply unsettling as well, isn't it? Maybe it raises even more questions for you. But the truth remains. God says he is in total control of everything that is about to happen Habakkuk doesn't understand that. God's answer does not make sense to Habakkuk. 
And his response in verses 12 to 17, which we're going to look at next week in a bit more detail, is basically to say to God, I'm sorry, you're doing what? Habakkuk's response in verses 12 to 17, it alerts us to the fact that this is not, it cannot be all that God has to say on this, and it's not. Uh, God has a lot more to say, and we are going to get there. But before that, God invites Habakkuk and us as well to kind of sit with that tension. Habakkuk's cried out for God to do something, and God has said, I am going to do something. I'm bringing judgment. I'm going to use an even more unjust, violent people to do it. And on the one hand, it's comforting. God does see, he does hear, he is working. But it's unsettling because his answer is just, doesn't make sense to us. It's not what we want or what we expect. And here's the thing. God may never fully explain himself to us. He is going to say more in Habakkuk, but he doesn't have to. Your situation in life, he may never fully explain to you what is going on and why he's doing it. And the question is, in those moments, will we trust him? Will we trust him with our confusion, with our questions? And Habakkuk wants to show us we can trust God. We can trust God even when life does not make sense because we know from our side of things, we know for certain that God can bring salvation from violence, redemption out of suffering, good from evil, justice out of injustice. That's what the cross of Jesus is all about. See, at that moment too, the death of Jesus on the cross, God was sovereign over the most wicked act of injustice that that has ever happened in humanity. So what Peter says in, in Acts 2, Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. He planned the cross, the most wicked act of violent injustice that's ever happened. He planned it. And you with the help of wicked men, put him to death. God is sovereign and the people are responsible. We know God can do this. Raising up Babylon is not God's final answer to Habakkuk's questions. His final, his ultimate solution, which is even more surprising and unbelievable than Babylon, is the death of his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Taking the judgment that we deserved on himself. You see, God knows what it is to personally experience violence and injustice and wrongdoing. And in his sovereign plan, Christ took the the violent, unjust, wrong death on himself so that we could have peace and justice 
and righteousness. The cross is God's surprising, unbelievable, amazing answer to the violence, injustice and wrongdoing in our world. And the cross proves God's justice. Sin is punished. The cross proves his goodness because sinners are forgiven. As his own son dies in our place, the cross proves his love because God gave his one and only son for people that hated him. The cross is where, as we're going to sing at the end, his grace and goodness is known. It's the truth that calms the troubled soul. God is good. And we can know it. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is that doesn't make sense to you, whatever it is that makes you cry out to God saying, why? You can trust him. His plans will not always make sense to you. His answers will not always be what you want or expect. But he can be trusted to work all things for the good of those who love him. The cross of Jesus Christ proves it. Let's pray. We thank you so much, Lord, that you have given us permission by giving us this book of Habakkuk, by showing us the life of Jesus, that we can talk to you like this. Thank you that we can bring our confusion, our questions, our doubts. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would grow us in courage and honesty, that we would be able to speak to you like this. And in all the ways that our lives just do not make sense to us, teach us to trust you, we pray. With the truth of your goodness and grace shown to us in the cross of Jesus be the truth that calms our troubled souls. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now we're going to sing a song now that reminds us of the confidence we have before the throne of God above to come to him and talk to him even as Habakkuk.